Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. two of Mornings with Carmen on this Wednesday, March the 30th, 2022. The days of this month are running out. So let's see. Um, if you go to MyFaithRadio.com, you can um, still join us in the giveaway of a simple path to following Jesus. If you have not already um, registered to enter the drawing for the, I don't know, it's like we're giving away like 100 copies. It's a crazy number. Um a Simple Path to Following Jesus by Rusty George. It's a great book um, that will equip you as a believer to effectively share your faith with others, or it's a great book if you know a new Christian, a new believer um, who needs to learn the basics of the faith, so it's, you know, what it really means to be a Christian. So go to MyFaithRadio.com um, and register there for a copy of A Simple Path to Following Jesus. Also, um, today or tomorrow, uh, last days to get in on the virtual access package to the Set Apart Conference, which was the women's conference held at the beginning of March on the campus of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. And there is a virtual access package available online. So there you go. We are also reading the Bible together for Holy Week, and you can go ahead and sign up for that as well. Um, Our daily readings start April the 10th, but the earlier that you go and um, and register, you're going to get a free online, uh, free study guide. It'll be available online, but we'd love to send you one, like an actual physical one, so that um, you can have that in advance of April the 10th. So the sooner that you register to read the Bible together with us during Holy Week, the sooner we can send you a a free study guide, and that would um, be great because it's really going to enable your your full participation um, in reading with us that week. So um, let's see, what had I thought I was going to talk about here at the top of this hour? Um, Social media, a couple of social media headlines. One, I mean, there's many that are just like devastatingly bad. And so, you know, new research shows that social media is bad um, for teenagers, particularly female teenagers, particularly for younger female teenagers. And so if you needed more information on why to keep your kids off of social media altogether, it is out there. If you um, if you need help as a parent, you know, coming alongside your teenager who is maybe overly involved, overly dependent upon whose emotions and even uh, even their self-image, their relationships being affected, like directly affected, their mental health directly affected by social media. Like there's research that you can sit down with them and say, this, this is why I'm worried. This is what has me concerned. And if your kids aren't on social media yet, um, you're going to love the next conversation we're about to have. We're going to talk with Lorna and Sievert um, Clefsis, and, and we're going to talk about just staying off social media altogether when you're a teenager. Um, Lorna is, uh, is a mom. Sievert is a senior in high school this year going to be attending the University of Northwestern St. Paul in the fall. And my conversation with them is up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. 
Well, it is with joy that I introduce you to Lorna and Seaver Clefsis. I learned about them in mainstream media, but um, now I know they are a part of the Northwestern family. So Lorna and Seaver, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so Thank much. You so Good much. morning. All right. So what I'm going to let Lorna tell the story. What is the story that I read in the mainstream <laughs> media? And then halfway through, I was like, oh, he's coming to our school. <laughs> Well, it's a very simple story, and uh, it isn't too much, but probably what you read is that when Seaver was 12, I was actually in the car listening to the radio, heard someone else that I wish I could credit, but I, I don't know who it was, talking about a 16, cha- 16 for 16 challenge. They were going to give their daughter $1,600 on their 16th birthday, and that's almost all I remember about the story, but I remember at the time thinking, I wonder if Seaver would ever go for something like this in relation to social media, because I had definitely been thinking about how we were going to handle his new phone and how we were going to handle social media. So I literally left the car, went into the house um, and said to Seaver, hey, w- would you ever consider staying off social media until your 18th birthday if I paid you $1,800? And his <laughs> response was immediately like, that's so much money, mom. Like, I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you to the cleaners here. Ha ha. Joke's on you. And uh and he said yes, and I mean, we really, I bet you six people in the whole world knew about our challenge until his 18th birthday, <laughs> and I posted it on my Facebook page, because he did it. He, he'd stayed off for all six years, and um, then I made a, bo- a post on his 18th birthday, and uh, things went crazy from there. <laughs> all right, so, um, Seaver, we want to talk with you about this. You know, it's hard to ask a question like, what do you think you missed? Because you <laughs> you weren't on social media. So um, what do you think other teenagers missed who spent all that time on social media during those six years when you were doing other things? What did you do that they didn't do because you weren't on social media? Well, I don't know if I would say they missed anything. I just think I had more. I guess I just had more free time, if that makes a lot of sense, because I feel like it's really easy to get, like, trapped into social media, or at least what I've, what I've seen is it's really easy to get, like, sucked in, and it's just such a big time consumer. So I think I just had, I don't know, times that I, I had time to put into things that I thought were more productive, like, I don't know, like, sports and school, and, like, I mean, this isn't productive, but, like, watching TV, even that, like, with my family, <laughs> instead of just, like, mindlessly scrolling in my bed, so. All right, so all of this was going on, or part of what happened during this period of time, during these six years, um, is COVID. So I would love, Seaver, for you to reflect a little bit with us um, about the reliance upon communication during COVID and sort of how you managed that as a teenager who was not on social media. Yeah. So uh, I think a lot of people would think that was really hard, but like weirdly enough, I guess COVID was pretty easy for me. So I have three older sisters. And, uh, I mean, they were all in college. They weren't ever going to come home again. And then the COVID hits, and they all come home. And all of a sudden, I'm, like, with my whole family again. So, weirdly, it was easier because I just had my three sisters, who I just absolutely love. And, like, we just had fun. We played games. And, like, it was just, it was so easy. And, like, I mean, obviously, COVID was awful. But, like, what a unique thing that it brought forward to, like, I can just get spend all this time with my sisters again. And, I don't know, it was just... It was just so fun, and that, I mean, it just made it easy. It was a breeze. So you are now a high school senior. Yes. um, And (laughs) you sound kind of excited about that. Yeah, I am a little bit. Um, So what are your your college plans? Uh, So, yeah, I'm going to go to Northwestern, uh, St. Paul. 
I think. Right? Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> no, uh, so I'm gonna go. To, I'm gonna go to Northwestern. Uh, I'm gonna study business here, and I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. I think it's gonna be great. So, Lorna, this is um, this is kid number four. Is that all there are? <laughs> <laughs> yes, four. He's okay. number four. Talk, talk with us, just you know, mom, uh, mom talk here. Um, I imagine that it's both like hard and rewarding. Talk about sending the girls off. Talk about. Uh, you know, your baby graduating. Yeah. Just t- take us into uh, into your life right now. Yeah. So my girls, um, my girls are only one each, three of them all one year apart. So they graduated three years in a row and went off to college three years in a row. And they did all leave the state, um, Phoenix, South Carolina and Oklahoma. So I, I very quickly had kids all over the country. So Seaver's been home alone with his dad and I for five <laughs> years. So we, we consider him an only child. Um so that was definitely um that 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 was a challenge that was a that was a we're a pretty tight knit family we live in a small town we've went from spending a lot of time together to very very little but um ironically social media of course has been a great connector for me and my girls um so I'm certainly a big a big fan of it used correctly and I'll see her coming along this is going to be a big this is going to be a big change for me I'm I am delighted he's staying in Minnesota right? <laughs> and um I'm delighted I'll be able to see him more but I, yeah we're moving into a really new phase um empty nest and I'm not sure how I, I'm not sure how I feel about that but it's going to be a change and um we're looking forward to it We're talking with Lorna and her son Seaver of the Clefsis family, uh, made, you know, made famous by the fact that Seaver agreed when he was 12 to his mom's social media challenge that if he would stay off social media until his 18th birthday, she'd pay him 1800 bucks. And he agreed and he accomplished that. And um, I'm assuming the bill has been uh, paid. She's made good on that. We're going to continue our conversation with Lorna and Seaver in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, rejoining our conversation now with Lorna and Seaver Clefsis. Um, so Seaver stayed off of social media, took this challenge that his mom issued to him when he was 12. Um, and we are, um, we're talking about that today. So Seaver, tell us, um, you know, along the way, as your friends would be like, hey, what's your chat? Or hey, you know, this is, um, you know, let's meet up, you know, what's your Instagram? Um, what's your Insta? Um, how did you, how did you kind of respond to that or process that or like, just tell us about some of those experiences? Yeah. So I don't think it was as, uh, big a deal as I think a lot of people seem it is. Uh, people would, so my friends, obviously all my friends at high school, like they don't care. They ask me and be like, oh, I don't have it. And they'd be like, oh, okay. And that'd be kind of the end of it. Um, but I mean, when I met new people, they'd be like, hey, what's your snap? Like, what do you got? And I said, oh, I don't have anything. And it's funny, most people just think that I was, like, taking a break. Like, I was just detoxing. Like, nobody even questioned it. They're like, oh, yeah, get off. It's so toxic. Uh, Stay off. (laughs) I was like, oh, yep, sure. Um, So I did that, and I stayed off. Um, But it really wasn't as big of a deal as people made it out to be. It was a bummer because once you don't, like, give out your Snap or your Insta, you kind of lose touch with a lot of um, people you meet because people don't really give out their phone numbers anymore. Um, mm-hmm. so that was, that was definitely a bummer, but it wasn't like a big deal. I feel like I kind of talked to everybody who I wanted to talk to. So there's people listening right now, Seaver, who, um, don't know what it means to have an Insta or to have a snap 
and they just heard you say people don't give out their phone numbers anymore. <laughs> and now they, their little brows are furrowed and they're wondering how, how do people communicate if they don't talk on the phone or if they don't at least text one another. Talk with us about communication um, among your peers. Yeah, so it's it's basically all Snapchat now, which, I mean, I guess uh, if you don't know what Snapchat is, it's just basically, like, an app where you can take pictures and then, like, add messages with your pictures. And, like, it's almost like you're not even talking about anything. You're just keeping, you're just keeping like, the picture chain going, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's... Okay, by the way, no, it makes no sense, just <laughs> yeah. so that you know. No, that's I mean, fair. when you say, does it make sense? No, I mean, in fact, I don't understand at all. I don't, because it is, there is some of this, like, keep it going thing. Like, yeah. it's, you're, you're bound to do it every single day. Oh, no, for sure. It's weird. I don't, I don't really get it either, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be bound to something like that every single day. I have a hard enough time keeping up with Wordle. <laughs> she played hurdle. Okay. That's a fun one. Uh, Wordle is really Wordle is really fun. Um, okay, it's a it's a word game, which won't surprise you because I'm a word person. Here's what I would love for you to do, Siever. Yeah. Um I want you to you know use your telescope into the future. Okay. I want you. Um, you're 18. Yes. Yes. Um, I am not. I would <laughs> love for you. I would love for you to describe the future to me. Wow, that's so interesting. Um. Ugh. Um, I don't know. I'm going to guess the future is going to be kind of similar what it is to now, except there's just going to be like slight changes, I guess. So I'd say there's going to be like a different style. There's going to be a different whatever. Um, I guess the future for me, uh, I'm going to college and uh, I haven't really looked past that, to be honest. No, that's cool. So I like that you recognize there's going to be continuity. I think there's a lot of people who imagine that the future is going to be completely disconnected to, unrelated to, um, you know, present reality or what they've experienced. And what I hear you saying is, you know, there's going to be continuity. The things that we have done and the things that we do, um, we will continue to do. We might stylistically do them differently or oh, over sure. different technologies. But yeah, I, I like that. I appreciate that. All right. You're going to um, you're going to study business. We have learned that. Um, do you feel like you have an entrepreneurial spirit or do you feel like you're the kind of guy that's going to go work for, um, somebody else? Uh, to be honest, I think like being an entrepreneur has always like sounded interesting to me. Cause I think that's like a really unique challenge to like, I don't know, come up with something that's different and unique and like can help people in like a different way or like can add something in a different way. But I don't know. I think I'm, I'll probably end up going working for someone, but I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out being an entrepreneur. I have ruled out being an entrepreneur because I know myself well well enough now to know that I don't like all the details. Okay. I just don't. I, I just I, I love I love coming up with ideas, but I don't like all that's required to like to lay the bricks. I can see the road and where it goes, but I, I don't want to lay the bricks. So there you go. Um all right. So Lorna, as um as you think about your kids and you think about um the future, I, I just love to give you an opportunity this spring to celebrate being a mom like they're you know you've done a great job like they're they're all fledged it's really great um just celebrate for uh, celebrate with us being a mom yeah well listen the reason that sea relieving is going to be so hard is because it's been the best job and the greatest joy of my life to have these four children and have them in my home and um, the privilege of raising them, and uh, we had a long journey to building our family, and I, I that stays with me um, every day, and in, in my gratitude 
for them. I my, I have four amazing kids. I, I'm sure every mom says that, but I, I have four amazing children who bless me every day. And um, it, it is hard to watch them step out of your home and step out of the, the role you've known for 26 years. Um, but I'm watching it change and really treasuring the new role and the new relationship and the way we're able to um, be in, in family and community together. It looks different, but it's still just this amazing privilege and blessing. And I do, it is a, it is a very strange thing to be launching the last one, but I do celebrate it. And I am so grateful um, just for the whole journey and, and, and for the opportunity to, you know, to be a mom. When you think about your family and, and your traditions, if I were um, coming over, well, first of all, would I come over to your house for dinner? Do you guys eat dinner together? And if so, what would we be having? And then is there like some weird chicken. quirky thing? We'd be having chicken. I like it. Chicken breast specifically. What? Oh, brother. Yeah? Uh-huh. Would they be, uh-huh. And what would they be served with, Seaver? That's it. Just chicken breast. Oh. No, no, that was it every single day. This is literally what he thinks. He's like, yeah, my mom only ever made chicken. And even my girls are like, Seaver, what are you talking about? Mom did not only make chicken. But- I'm pretty convinced that like at least every other meal was chicken breast. <laughs> so somehow he's decided I only make chicken. No, I'm we, pretty sure you do. We, I mean, they're, they're just forgetting. <laughs> we did. We did have dinner together as a family every night. That was a big priority. It got harder and harder as the kids got more involved, um, especially in athletics. A lot of things um, would go very, very late. So mm-hmm. we did, but it was a big priority in our house that when it was the six of us. It, it's been a lot different with the three of us. We are a lot more flexible. <laughs> we, we do a lot more kind of like, it, it feels like not everybody's home. So that's a funny thing, but it's been five years that not everybody's home. But we do, um, we do try to have dinner together every single night. Even And now with the three of us, if, if they don't get home until 7.30 or 8, then we just eat late at 8. So you might have to wait on our timing, but yes, you would be able to have dinner with us. If we had a game night, would we be playing a game or watching a game? Playing, playing a, game. a game for sure. Yeah. <gasps> what would we be playing? Oof. I don't know. Um, Disney villains. No, we wouldn't play that. You wouldn't make Carmen play villains? Okay. No. What, what no, would you play? That's too complicated. Car- too, too Carmen, would be very, Carmen would be very bad at that game. <laughs> uh, I don't know. We'd probably play... Um, cribbage? Oh, we'd probably... Oh. No, we, we could play cribbage, but Addie wouldn't want to play cribbage. No, that's true. Hmm. Right, well, who knew? We have a lot of really fun. Board yeah, no, games. I know. I think we probably play Who knew. Yeah, we do love Who knew. Who so, knew? So All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna check out Who knew. I don't know Who knew, and so now you have inspired me. I'm gonna check out Who knew. <laughs> it's a good one. Um, if you're if you're listening right now and you want to text me what game I'd be playing if I were having dinner at your house, you can do that. The number is eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Love to know what we'd be playing as an as a game at your house, or maybe we'd be watching a game. If so, what would we be watching? Um, we are talking with the Clestis family, or a portion of it. We're talking with Lorna and Seaver. Seaver took his mom's challenge when at 12, she said, you know what? If you can stay off social media until you're 18, I'll pay you 1800 bucks." And he made it. And he is going to join the University of Northwestern St. Paul family in the fall as a freshman. And so um, really, really fun to talk with you guys today. Lorna and Seaver, thank you so much for joining us on Mornings with Carmen. Yeah, thanks for having us. Just a delight. All right, I'm going to have to get um, some who knew and um, and practice (laughs) up. All right, um, uh, we are going to be right back. Thanks so much for joining us on Mornings with Carmen. All righty. 
apparently at game night, which maybe we're just going to have to have uh, here a Mornings with Carmen game night edition. We'd be playing Who Knew, Scrabble, Abandoned All Artichokes, Ruma Cube, Chicago Bridge, which I don't know, Killer Uno, Mexican Train, something I'm very good at, Phase 10, another thing I'm very good at, Card Games. Now, that needs more definition. You who texted in Card Games, I need more on that. Betrayal at House on the Hill, not familiar with that, nor am I familiar with Fury of Dracula or Summit, so I definitely need to come to your house and learn those. Phase 10, again, Dutch Blitz, Uno, uh, we'd be playing Scrabble or 500, which is also a card game, according to Carolyn. All right, so um, invite me over. I'm quite the gamer. You will have to uh, tune me in on your victory songs because you know that's important to me that at the end of a game everyone should have a victory song and so if i win my victory song is uh this is your victory song it isn't very long hey now other people have very long victory songs in my house but there you go that is mine what's your victory song what game would i be playing if you invited me over for game night at your house let me know. You can text me at 877-933-2484. Uh, Deb tuning in here with Farkle. Nobody with that other dice game where you roll the dice and fill out that little, oh, Yahtzee. I kind of like, I kind well, I don't really like Yahtzee, but that's, a, that's another one I know. Um, nobody has said they would play me in Batgammon. If you did, you would lose. I'm a very good Batgammon player. Um, all right, we, um, we have to move on to other things. Have you read C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity, Allegory of Love, Screw Tape Letters, Abolition of Man, Till We Have Faces, Surprised by Joy, Space Trilogy, Weight of Glory. Which of Lewis's writings have shaped you? And then let's ask the question, whose writings shaped C.S. Lewis? That's the topic of our next conversation with Jason Baxter. He actually wrote the book, The Medieval Mind of C.S. Lewis, How Great Books, How great books Shaped a Great Mind. He joins us next. Jason Baxter joins us now. We are going to talk about his brand new book, The Medieval Mind of C.S. Lewis. Um, Jason, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, thanks so much for having me. People love C.S. Lewis. Um, so let's just start with this. What inspired you to do the research on this topic and then write this book? Yeah, I love Lewis. I've loved Lewis since I was a teenager. So it's I've read him. I think he's been unbelievably useful and helpful in my life. He's almost like a friend. So I suppose when I, as a scholar, I, I was doing my own work on Dante and medieval literature. And I kind of thought, you know, we, I have to grow up at some point. I have to get over Lewis. You know, Lewis is out of fashion and scholarship and I have to, you know, become a man and put him away. And then when I got into his scholarship and I realized that he had anticipated me and almost everything meaningful I wanted to say, sort of fell in love with him again. And started digging into this and thought, wait a minute, the sort of stuff that I've read as a scholar on medieval literature and Dante and, and, and Platonism is the sort of stuff that Lewis was doing as well. And then I started to realize, especially as I was reading the Chronicles of Narnia to my kids every night for bedtime stories, oh my goodness, Lewis wasn't successful despite what he read as his, as his day job, but because of it. And that's mm -hmm. what that was the birth of this book. Yeah, so that's that's so good. So first of all, you 
not only read and were inspired by C.S. Lewis, like he is part of what frames the way you think about uh, the world and everything in it um, and how it works. You are reading it to your children. Um, That is something that many listeners and, and including me, like that is a practice in our household. You reach an age and stage and that happens. That's right. Excuse me. And sometimes older kids are reading them to younger kids. I think there are, you know, people today who um, maybe think that the Chronicles of Narnia are the extent of Lewis's writings. Um, right. Invite us into um, into reading Lewis and Lewis's writings beyond the Chronicles of Narnia for people who don't know. Yeah. So you've got your Chronicles of Narnia. If you if you enjoy his fiction, of course, a lot of people love his great divorce. Um, I have to say, I, I I love that book. I think it gives a sense of what Lewis talks about in one of his sermons called The Weight of Glory. It, it gives a sort of heaviness to eternal consequences and lets you sort of feel this divine drama playing out. I know just on an extremely practical level, I've had some awesome conversations with my teenagers just about life and virtue and and our own kind of vicious psychological tendencies, just we've used some of those anecdotes to sort of, you know, uh, talk through some of the issues that are that are are bugging them. But so there's the great divorce. There is Till We Have Faces, in which Lewis rewrites an ancient tale, uh, kind of theme of the book, of Cupid and Psyche. Um, but Lewis rewrites it in order to get at some of these extraordinary theological and spiritual encounters of God, sort of unveiling before God and doing something which I think all of your listeners will feel is more difficult than it sounds, letting myself be loved by God as I am, which is, I think, more or less what you could say Lewis means by conversion. Um, And then he's he's got a whole bunch of, of nonfiction. Uh, he's got his scholarly works, of course, which are which are not as often read, but he's got some of his great sermons like Transposition and Weight of Glory, as well as uh, some more practical reflections on how to love well, like in Four Loves. But my contention is that in all of these things, Augustine and Boethius and Dante and some of his other favorite medieval writers are just beneath the surface in a, in a really exciting way. I guess you could think of it like this. We all know that once a week he went to a pub and hung out with his buddies called the Inklings, like Tolkien and Barfield. And they had some drinks and had some conversations and had a lot of laughs and wrote for each other and, and had great practice of friendship. I think we need to exclude that circle in Lewis's mind to also include dead people, these sort of dead authors that Lewis also loved. But they were as important for him as much in his bloodstream or in his DNA, if you want, as his living friends were. I think that's um, so helpful and so true and true of all of us and each of us. If we were to make our list of, you know, a handful of writers who have deeply influenced our thinking, Lewis would be certainly on my list. Francis Schaeffer would absolutely be on my list. Um, so when when you think about um, Lewis's list, one of the people you spend time talking about is Dante. So um, I know it's jumping ahead in the book, but why did Lewis love Dante? Yes, Lewis loved Dante, and I think that wonderful title of his sermon, The Weight of Glory, really says it all. Lewis loved Dante for several reasons, but I think maybe the most important is that, as your listeners probably know, um, Dante is that kind of, you know, what has been called the Mount Everest of literature. It's the sort of book you want to climb and maybe have been intimidated to do so. But as, as Dante's journey 
through hell and then up around the mountain of purgatory and then starts floating up into space like a medieval sci-fi journey. I don't think that was lost on Lewis. But as he gets closer and closer and closer to God, he uses similes and likenesses and metaphors, which are drawn from some of the most earthly things. And at one point, Lewis did a scholarly survey, and he counted all these similes, and he counted all these metaphors, and he put them into categories, which sounds really boring, but it's more exciting than you might think. And what Lewis determined is what Dante uses the most, the types of similes, are things drawn from our ordinary activities, our ordinary crafts, our daily activities. And so Lewis was astonished to see that as Dante gets closer to this unspeakable vision of God's glory, he actually uses more and more earthly things, in part as a way of giving weight and heft, the weight of glory to this divine vision. And Lewis thought that for us in our modern age in which we concentrate on the negative so often, right? We know that God is not body. We know that God is, you know, not in time. We know that God is not, you know, um, suffering the same sort of passions that we go through. By the time we get done qualifying all of the knots, we have this, you know, kind of sallow, sickly, thin version of what heaven is. And so surprise, surprise, as a culture, we don't really have much, have much of a hunger to get there. Well, in this way, Dante was a kind of an extraordinary sort of therapeutic author because he gave a sense of weight to that glory. He gave a sense of heaviness to heavenly goodness, such that it felt that for us that this life was the shadow of the next of, as opposed to how it ordinarily feels. That's one of the reasons mm -hmm. that Lewis loved Dante so much. Yeah, it's so good. So we talking, we're talking about... Um, C.S. Lewis, we're talking about how his mind was shaped. Lewis's writings have shaped many of our minds. Who we read actually does matter. And so who did C.S. Lewis read? Who did he love? Um, who formed his thinking and informed his thinking? That is the subject matter of Jason Baxter's book, The Medieval Mind of C.S. Lewis. Um, talk with us, uh, Jason, about just a, the recovery of some things here. You you offer us a recovery of a cosmos and some air um, and a symphony that we might have forgotten or um, or failed to visit recently. Yeah, well, that's like 17 questions packed into one. I, uh, just just I, so, unfurl, unfurl any of them. Sure, yeah. I think Lewis thought that we had become so good at describing bodies you know, we're engineers and uh, we're technologists and we're scientists and we're chemists and we've become extremely specialized in, in, a, in a good way. And we have unbelievable abilities to describe the motions of bodies and their interactions and their projections. And I think he worried that because we're so good at that, that we think that those are the only questions that matter. And we think that uh, it's not just that we only pose to ourselves questions of sort of science and technology, but is that we've lived under this regime, what he calls in a fancy term, the mechanization of the world picture, right? But we lived under this sort of regime in which we focus on quantities and bodies and their interactions for so long that we've, we've forgotten that there are any alternatives. We've forgotten that there's such a thing as the knowledge of the heart, we forgot such a thing that the, our spiritual longings, Lewis says, now seem a little out of place 
And we get kind of embarrassed when we talk about spiritual longings because it seems kind of adolescent to us or maybe even infantile. These are sort of emotions left over from, from childhood, which we need to get over and we need to um, you know, get with the times and science and technology will answer all the problems that science and technology cause. Um, and, and Lewis thought that in a way, uh, he, he called it in one of his scholarly books that the scientific revolution brought a period of new learning and new ignorance. That is, we made some progress in terms of the description of our world and its mechanistic interactions, which are good and have resulted in good things. But in the meantime, it's, it's been difficult for us to acknowledge or honor any other uh, faculties of knowledge, like the, the knowledge of the heart and bravery and compassion and purity and reverence and a sense of standing before the universe with a deep sense of gratitude and worshipfulness, as, as Thomas Traherne describes it in one of Lewis's favorite books. I think that's what he thought we were, that's why he was a little nervous. And that's why he called himself the last dinosaur, because he didn't want the new learning to be accompanied by this new ignorance, but wanted to conduct this activity of restoration so that the wisdom of the heart and the wisdom of the spirit, which he thought our ancestors were as good in as we are in our science and technology. He didn't want that to disappear. Mm, so good. Um, the last dinosaur and the surprising modernity of the Middle Ages actually is the introduction uh, to Jason Baxter's new book, The Medieval Mind of C.S. Lewis, How Great Books Shaped a Great Mind. We'll return to this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Baxter is a, a, is a professor of fine arts and humanities at Wyoming Catholic College. He's also an author. Um, he's fascinated with what I would call the mystical and recovering um, some of that in not only our conversations, but in, in our hearts today. Um, you can find him at his website, jasonmbaxter.com. Um, we're talking with him today about his new book, The Medieval Mind of C.S. Lewis, How Great Books Shaped a Great Mind. Um, Jason, this would be a wonderful book to use in a book club. It might be an unusual book um, for someone to show up with at their book club and say, hey, we should read this. But I think that in terms of like fodder for real conversation, there's so much in here um, for people who love Lewis or maybe people who don't know C.S. Lewis. Like, it, it occurred to me that this is um, actually a really profound introduction. Thanks. I, th I think so. I hope so. I, I think it's the sort of book that makes you want to read more books. And, and in yes. that way, it might, be, it might be the best possible book club book. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, I know a lot of my friends, um, a lot of my friends who are college professors, you know, grew up in Christian circles and all their friends were reading Lewis. And they, just like I resisted watching the Titanic when, when I was a teenager, just because everyone else was watching it. I think, you know, they thought, no, I'm going to be, I'm going to be original. I'm not going to just quote, you know, St. Clive all the time, right? I'm, I'm going to come up with my own thoughts. And then they went, you know, a decade or two and thought, well, I guess Lewis is for kids because we associated him with Narnia. But I suppose one of the cool things that comes out in the book is that Lewis didn't write 
say, children's stories exclusively for children, but rather he adopted this really flexible mode of storytelling uh, that is uh, the fable, right? In order to give him a flexible enough narrative that he could also touch on these sort of forgotten aspects of the human art, things he, human heart, things he thought were present uh, culturally to us in the past and has sort of dropped out. And thus, by using this fable, he had he had this this net which was wide enough to capture these some of these things, which maybe in our uh, sophisticated realist novels are more difficult to get at. That's so good. Um, talk with us a little bit about chapter seven, um, deep conversion and unveiling. This is where it felt like it got um, personal. Oh man, I think so. I think uh, every now and then I. I have to say, even as sort of composing, I have tears in my eyes thinking about certain ideas. And this was one of the chapters. Some of the other chapters were fun to write. There was scholarly. I was I was in my brain. But this one, yeah, this one, I think you're you're very intuitive. Was actually close to the heart. Well, it's it's all about it's all about conversion, and it's it's uses this extraordinary image from Lewis of of unveiling, and it's borrowed from Till We Have Faces. And Orwell is this character. Um, who thinks that she's ugly. And so she wears this veil and she hides herself from others, but come to find out over the course of her life, she also hides herself from herself. And she is efficient and she's powerful and she sort of projects this image of control. Um, but she has these she has these fears and she has these pains and she has these losses, all of which are made to come out in the end. And she has this trial scene, which she doesn't particularly want. And what she has to stand in front of a great mass of people and she has her veil removed. And in fact, she has all of her clothes removed and she has to give this sort of speech. And so I think what Lewis is trying to develop in this is this, this image of, of conversion, this image of standing before uh, an all-knowing God in a kind of what you could call spiritual nudity in which I can't hide. And moreover, the shocking thing is uh, I have to let myself be loved. It seems like you know we want to we we want to wait until we've perfected ourselves, perfected our image, perfected our character, perfected all of our habits and techniques, and then we'll be loved. And we sort of want to lead everyone along, right? To think that who I I will make myself in the future is the image of myself now. But in some sense, conversion is being stripped of these fears and stripped of these uh, sort of presumptions. And just letting myself be loved by God now in my spiritual nudity. And that's really what that chapter is about. And that's why it was, it was hard to write, I think, for, a, for an efficient American who wants to pull himself by, up by his bootstraps and make himself the perfect human being to have to sort of deal with those issues of, uh, of being loved as we are now. That, that was tough and fun and, I think, for me, almost kind of therapeutic. The book is... Um... The book is extraordinary, and the subject matter is just so worthy of our attention. This is a book that will make you want to read other books. This is also a book that will provide um, opportunity to open up conversations um, with other people that are really sometimes very, very hard to have but are so necessary. So the book is The Medieval Mind of C.S. Lewis, How Great Books Shaped a Great Mind. Jason Baxter is the author. You can find him at his website, jasonmbaxter.com. What's the M stand for? Michael. There you go. 
All right. Blessings um, upon you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Is it um, is it still snowing or snowy in Wyoming? Oh, yeah. We got this mm-hmm. until June. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but Christmas is coming. Oh, oh it's not always winter. It's just yeah. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Exactly. What a blessing. What a blessing to talk with you. Um, thank you um, so much for joining us. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio, and we'll be right back. Clearly, we're going to have to have like game night or game morning or game training or something. The list uh, is now really long. Corkle, I don't know. Corridor also starts with a Q. Settlers of Catan. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. The person who texted that in was like, I can't believe nobody has said Settlers of Catan. Um, that's a lot of people playing that. A lot of people playing lots of varieties and versions of that. Um, I don't know if you invited me over if we'd play it because, you know, there'd be lots of explanation at the beginning, right? Uh, something called Five Straight Sequence. I did have someone say they'd play me in Batgammon. That's Sherry in Connecticut. So you're on, girl. And then there's some like, I don't know. These are a little bit scary. Nuts about mutts and exploding kittens. I don't know if I want to play either one of those with anybody. That sounds awful. Okay, I don't know. All right, so uh, lots of games out there. Farkle, Dutch Blitz, on and on and on. You guys are super fun. Thank you. Oh, and somebody said, hey, what would we play if we came to your house? And um, you would be playing um, Fantan, which is also known as Sevens. Um, And uh, you would be playing Mexican Train. Absolutely. Um, And then we would play a version of Scrabble called Bananagrams, which I am very good at. But everyone in my family is um, is good at as well. So it's really fun. We're we're actually pretty competitive. And yeah, if you came for dinner, that is definitely what we would be doing after dinner. Um, in addition to reading um, at least a portion of a chapter of Scripture, right now we're working our way through the book of Acts. It's taken us a little bit longer than it took us uh, here reading together. Um, but you can read the Bible with us. We'd love for you to do that. Sign up today uh, at MyFaithRadio.com, and we'll send you a study guide for reading the Bible together during Holy Week. I'm really looking forward to doing that with you as well. All right, you can still text me. What game would we, we would we be playing if I came to your house for dinner? Would we be watching a game or playing a game? If we're playing a game, what are we playing? 877-933-2484. Love you guys. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.